I wonder what difference it makes to be a follower of Jesus. This is one of the questions that I really wrestled with as a teenager growing up. I was already convinced that the Christian faith was true. As a young man, I'd actually taken the time to do a compare and contrast of the Christian faith versus all the other major world religions. I even had a, had a book on it to help me guide me through. It's not bad for a 15-year-old lad, is it? I was convinced, and still am, that Jesus is the only way that the world has been created rather than being an accident. And I knew this because I also had a personal relationship with Jesus. But the environment that I grew up in was both wonderful and safe, yet it left me with this question. What difference does it make to be a Christian? And it seemed to me that the difference came down to this. Whether or not, when the corner shop opened for Sunday trading hours, whether or not it was okay for me to go at my mum and dad's instructions to buy a pint of milk if we ran out on a Sunday. Some of us will remember 20 plus years ago when that was a big deal. Now I see many of us, me included, in Tesco's Express on Sunday afternoons and even sometimes on a Sunday morning before church. But you see, for my parents, what I saw was whether or not it was the right thing to do to buy a pint of milk on a Sunday, but actually they were contending with much bigger things. As medics the thing that occupied them was the theology and practice of caring for those at the very end of their lives. My dad was instrumental with mum in setting up the hospice in Exeter. They were at the leading edge of that movement in their day. They were declaring aloud and very strongly that life is not disposable and that there is meaning and richness to be had even in the toughest parts even towards the end of the journey when it can be painful yet I was wondering about milk but dad and mum were leaving footprints of grace all over the land. There are footprints of grace that cover this country. We see them in the education system, in hospitals, in charities that are set up by Christian people to care for the marginalized and the poor. We see them across the land, footprints of grace 
that where the government is fleeing from caring for some of the most marginalized and poorest in our country, it is the Christian churches that are stepping in and stepping up. And in fact, it's even started to be reported in the media that it's so. But I think there's another thing going on. I think there's another opportunity for footprints of grace upon this land. As followers of Jesus, I believe that in this day and age, we have something very important to say. In a world that is increasingly anxious and troubled. I don't know about you, but I don't know when the next general election is going to be announced. I mean, it might be on Monday, it might be in who knows. And all of that, frankly, seems very worrying. But there's another thing going on. And it's to do with the mind and with mental health, especially in our young people. And so I think that we as a Christian community have got something to say that is much beyond, more than the morality of buying milk on a Sunday. And I'm very happy, by the way, for someone to argue with me and tell me that we shouldn't be buying milk on a Sunday. I think you're probably right. But maybe there's another place where we can leave footprints of grace upon the world it seems to me that the Bible has an awful lot to say about our mental well-being in Matthew Jesus talks about not worrying in Philippians it talks about not being anxious and about the peace of God that passes all understanding guarding our hearts our emotions And our mind, our thinking. At the end of John's Gospel, Jesus shows up to the disciples and he not only says peace, but he declares peace over them. And in the reading that Bev read for us, uh, no, not the reading that Bev read for us, another passage from Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16, it talks about the mind of Christ. And the text for today, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And that's what I want us to look at today. See, I believe that being a follower of Jesus in this day and age not only makes a difference, but that we can make a difference. This passage is amazing. A few verses, and I don't know about you, but there are always, there are little parts of the Bible that I just keep on coming back to. And and this is one of those double sets of verses that I keep on coming back to. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But it is one of those passages that begins with a therefore. And if you want to know what the therefore is all about, then you have to look at the before. So what's happened in the 11 preceding chapters? Let me give you a really brief summary. And if you're an expert on Paul and Romans, I have no doubt that this will not suffice. 
but here goes anyway. Paul has set out what the problem is at the beginning of Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 verse 23. He's outlined what the solution is. God's abundant provision and grace. The gift of righteousness through the one man, Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 17. He's outlined what difference it makes in terms of life by the Spirit. And he's highlighted that everyone is in the same boat, both Jews and Gentiles. I hope that's a vaguely accurate summary of Romans chapter 1 to 11, on which there's been so much written. Which gets us to the little bit just before the therefore. Paul, having outlined his understanding of the gospel, says, Oh, the depths, the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him, And for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore. Therefore. This is the turning point of Paul's letter. It's you've heard the message. Therefore, in view, with God's mercy in plain view, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about what you've heard? It's the declaration that there is another way to live. And it's in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And the way that we do it is to offer the whole of ourselves back to him. We could talk about mercy seats at that point, but that would be about another three talks. So we'll, you know, if you know about mercy seats, this is the little tag that gets you into that. But we're to be living sacrifices. We offer ourselves not as sacrifices that get killed off, but at sacrifices as we give ourselves to God that are not consumed. But we are to live as people who are surrendered and given over to Him. To be a living sacrifice is an all or nothing activity. I think one of the ways to describe faith is it's, is it's binary. It's like a light switch. It's either on or it's off. It's not a dimmer. It's either on or it's off. You, you can't be a living sacrifice a little bit. You either are a living sacrifice or you're not. You're either all in, ready to be consumed and given over, or you're not. We place our lives on the altar, knowing what we deserve, and instead we receive grace and mercy 
and righteousness. He makes us worthy. And he new creates us again and again and again. To live like this is our true and proper worship. It's our whole lives. It's not about an hour on a Sunday or a service. It's about the whole of our living. And Paul goes on, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. I think if you want to know what Paul's talking about, go and read the start of Romans. In this day and age, it doesn't make very comfortable reading. It's the place where truth is suppressed and people live for themselves rather than God. Seems to me to be a pretty accurate description of what's going on in the world today. Living sacrifices, not conformed, but instead transformed. Transformed by the renewing of our minds. How, how does this happen? How do our minds get transformed? That's why I asked Bev to read the other passage from 2 Corinthians 3. You see, I think the way that we are transformed is not by trying, not by trying to renew our minds, but by changing what we're looking at, by fixing our gaze upon him. And as we look at him, as we follow in his steps, the steps of Jesus, so he transforms us. And the result according to Paul, is amazing. That we would actually be able to test and discern what the will of God is. We would know what God's heartbeat is for the world and for us. It's an invitation to live differently. You know, I think if we allow God to do this in us. To be people that are living wholly for God. You know, I really do think that it's going to be good for our mental health. I, I think we're going to be more peaceful and less anxious. Because this is not just an idea. This is something to be lived out. Walked into. But you know there's another benefit as well. And it's the benefit that I think that this has on the people around us. You see, I don't think we can offer something to someone else that we're not willing to digest ourselves. I don't think we can offer something to someone else that we're not willing to digest ourselves. You see, people don't need another idea. There's plenty of those in the world. What they need is something that's lived. That's why I keep bringing us back to where we started at the beginning of the term. Those five habits. To start the day with prayer. With reading God's word, feeding on him. Being part of a small group. 
coming regularly to a service and living a life of generosity. You know, if we're gonna, if we're gonna be a, a blessing of peace to other people, then we have to start with us. We have to live this for us. You see, there is a world that is filled with fear. And we see it now, don't we? In our newspapers and on the telly. It's filled with fear, but I think it can be filled with peace. There's a world that is filled with anxiety. And I think the Lord wants to fill it with people of prayer. A world that is self-centered. Yet the overflow of following Jesus would that it be God-centered and loving our neighbor-centered. And all of this is in response to Jesus Christ, to the good news. It's not a self-help manual. It's God's help, God's grace. As we live as Jesus has intended us to live, Minds that are transformed and renewed. I believe that we can cover this world with footprints of grace. That people will want to know from you how come you're going through such difficulty, yet you can know the peace of God. How come... You're struggling with things towards the end of life, yet you can be thankful. How come you're not just living for yourself? I think the world needs to be covered in footprints of God's grace. And it starts with what's going on in here with us. Are you doing this for you? You know, it starts with maybe just praying at the start of the day or opening the Bible. And as we do that for us, and as we do it in community, there becomes this path that others can follow. Let me finish with this. There are, there are two ways architecturally of building pathways, especially if you're designing a kind of university campus or something like that. One way is that you think through all the routes that people will travel and you put the paths in. The other is that you simply grasp everything. And at the end of the first summer, You work out where people have walked and you put the paths in. Folks, I think that you can carve out some pathways for others to follow. Pathways of grace and generosity. And it starts with you having your mind renewed in response to the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. Let me pray.
Father God, with all of these things that we've talked about this morning that are that are so intrinsic to how we live in response to you. I pray that they wouldn't just be for us, but that they would be for the transformation of the whole of society. That as we have our minds renewed, as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, so your world would be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen.